Hi, the next thing I'm going to offer you is the flip side, which is chapter two of The Distance Traveled in One Day. My name is Pete Smith. I'm the host of this podcast of stories and interviews. You like what you hear? Drop us an email at utopiaroadpictures at gmail.com or you can leave us a voice message right at the podcast. Spread the word. Take care of yourselves. Look forward to connecting with you again soon and hope you enjoy the flip side. The Distance Traveled in One Day, Chapter 2, The Flip Side. I awoke at sunup freezing with a head of ditch hair and a stiff back. After some pasta de amandoim and bread, I snagged a ride into the city that I'd seen in the distance the night before. It turned out to be Badajo, Spain. Located on the edge of the Guadiana River, it's a fortress town, originally a settlement of the Romans and Visigoths. It was conquered by the Moors in the 8th century, caught up in all sorts of wars with all sorts of kings and queens and countries. There were ownership issues with Portugal, and during the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s, a place of murder, a place where 4,000 Republicans were killed in a square by Franco's nationalist forces. I found this stuff out later, but on that morning, after getting dropped off in downtown Badajo, population 125,000 people, I was pleasantly surprised to find the place humming. There were rows of small cafes on skinny side streets, the cafes were built in the shape of my neighbor's garage back home in Barrie. They even had the roll-up door at the front and everything. And each cafe was buzzing with people. Hot, sweet rolls were being served with shots of coffee and shots of booze, brandy, cognac, wine. People were playing on pinball machines, giving it the old hip bump just enough to avoid tilt, but enough to keep the ball in play. It was just like at the pool hall next to the Roxy on Dunlop Street. Everybody was smoking, and everybody looked kind of sharp. Crisp white shirts, polished styling shoes, jackets, haircuts, just so. It was a real handsome crowd. But what was this all about? I mean, who were these people? Why were they up so early? Was it for a funeral or a wedding, maybe? It was shoulder to shoulder in each of the cafes. Whatever was going on, I couldn't help but get caught up in things. In voodoo terms, I'd gone from the serpent of the ditch grass to the rainbow of the partying cafe in one measly sleep. Now, I wasn't a coffee drinker back then, and had never seen the thick Turkish stuff being served in cups a bit bigger than my mother's egg holder. But when in Badajo, I took my first cup of sludge with a shot of Spanish brandy and ate five or six sticky buns. Wired is one way to describe how this worked into my system and got my motor humming. I kept drinking shots of coffee and shots of booze and eventually got changed for a pinball machine. Well, by 10 o'clock, I was totally wasted, covered in sugar from the sticky buns and the only guy in the cafe having the time of his life. Well, I didn't even notice the place had emptied out. I was eventually led outside and set gently onto a bench. The street was empty. Where was everybody? The rolling doors of the cafes were all shut. I was to discover that the cafe scene I'd experienced in Badajo was a Spanish morning routine a ritual I happily participated in as I journeyed along. Well, I fell asleep on the bench and woke up in the afternoon sometime, very hungover and in need of something to drink. I found a pop machine, pumped in some change, and walked around town sipping a Fanta orange drink, taking in the sights, and by five o'clock found myself in a nifty little bar. 
The bartender was an amazing fellow who could throw a hard-boiled egg into the air and before it returned to earth, take a shot glass from the bar and put it into his shirt pocket, catching the egg in the glass as it landed, creating a perfect crack in the shell. He'd lift the shell off in two or three pieces, then cut it expertly with a knife in a Zorro kind of way into thin slices. A sprinkle of paprika was dashed on top, followed by a pinch of salt. He'd slide the little plate toward me with a spin. It was all flash, splash, and panache. He'd then shout, Comer! Eat, was what he meant. What was not to like? Nothing. And other little plates followed. Deep-fried sardines. Never seen them before. Head, tail, bones, the entire thing. You, you pop it into your mouth, wash it down with a cold Spanish beer. I was putting the bad into batajo, I can tell you. Peanuts, more egg, more deep-fried fish, all forms of tapas, squid, cheese, all those were presented. By 8 o'clock, I was full of everything, and I needed air. I wandered the streets, and by 9 p.m. had found a pair of bushes to sleep under. I couldn't be seen unless you were really looking, and it was there that I lay my head. Ditches and park living at its very finest appeared to be the way for me in Spain, at least at 17 years of age. I woke up the next morning to a dog licking my face. Welcome to the next day of your life, senor, the dog face said. Mm, time to get rolling, no? So I took the dog's advice. I got back on the road and hitchhiked south, winding up in Sevilla, home of Cervantes, the burial site of Christopher Columbus, filled with streets that were as thin as alleyways and wound around the inner city. I found a small pension along one of the alleys and booked in. Ended up staying a couple of weeks. I bought an old bicycle from a repair shop and rode around town taking in the sights, meeting the locals and falling in love with all things Sevilla. The city was 2,200 years old, and there was always something going on in music and food, flamenco dancing. I ate more fish, more olives, drank Spanish wine, and found the entire Sevillan experience snazzy as get out. But other things were going on under the Spanish sun that I wasn't aware of. After leaving Sevilla, I hitchhiked across country toward Granada. I got picked up in a Fiat, which is really a phone booth on wheels, and it was already stuffed with three university students. It was a snug fit, but all was good with us. When they found out I was Canadian, beer was popped and I got slaps on the back. They spoke to me in Spanish and English and German and French, at times all four at once. We are glad to see you, mon ami, the driver said. <laughs> That's great, I responded, not sure if they'd mistaken me for someone else. Franco is dying, a long-haired man on my right yelled. Who? Herr Franco. And he made a little finger mustache and finished the image off with a Heil Hitler gesture. We love Canadians, he said. You sent soldiers who died for us. We salute you. No, we hug you. And an awkward hug got underway. Arms came from everywhere and wrapped around me. A finger inadvertently went into my right ear, and I had to turn my head to keep a hand from going into my mouth. Now, being educated on Canadian history in a fiat on the back roads of Spain was something I hadn't reckoned on in the journey, but it was surely happening. I found out that Canadians fought in the Spanish Civil War, a war between democratic and fascist forces that happened between 1936 and 1939. Hundreds of thousands of lives were lost in the conflict, and in the end, in 1939, just before World War II broke out, Franco and his nationalist forces seized power and had yet to relinquish it. They were still in power, still being fascists in power. Looking out the window of the Fiat at the olive groves and farms that came up to the highway, 
I imagined Canadians and Spaniards and many others charging over Hill and Dale forty years earlier, fighting for a belief. Maybe it was the Depression that had them caught up in the Civil War. Maybe it was the rise of communism, the desire to defend democracy, defeat fascism. Maybe it was all a big adventure. Whatever it was, the war had captured the imagination of people from all over the world. They showed up in Spain and fought shoulder to shoulder with the Republicans. The Mackenzie Papineau Battalion was formed and came from Canada, some 1,200 men, with hundreds of them dying on foreign soil for the cause. Dr. Norman Bethune from Gravenhurst, Ontario, before going to China, came to Spain to help out, but was unable to find a place for his surgical talents, so created the unit, the Servicio Canadienese de Transfusion de Sangre a unit that would take blood from civilians and transport it in bottles to wounded soldiers in the front lines. Shortly before leaving for Spain, Bethune wrote a poem. And this same pallid moon tonight, which rides so quietly, clear and high, the mirror of our pale and troubled gaze raised to a cool Canadian sky. Above the shattered mountain tops, last night rose low and wild and red, reflecting back from her illumined shield the blood-bespattered faces of the dead. To that pale disk we raise our clenched fists, and to those nameless dead our vows renew, comrades who fought for freedom and the future world, who died for us, we will remember you. And under that same pallid moon, Herodotus and Ibn Battuta journeyed, and for me on my little trek. It had taken another turn inside this fiat from a past before I was born into an immediate state of affairs, a state of affairs that would see riots and acts of terrorism that would roll over me like a wave, as I bore witness to changes in Spain from what it was to what it would become. I surely wasn't in Kansas or in Barrie, Ontario, anymore.